What defines crazy? One way Urban Dictionary defines crazy is someone who will go against the rules. A person who acts in a manner that normal society does not approve of. We would add that crazy can be defined as enigmatic, meaning mysterious or speaking in riddles, often misunderstood. God tells us in Isaiah 55, 8-9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Yet even though he is enigmatic, he tells us in seven places in scripture that if we seek him, we will find him when we search with all of our heart. Journey with us as we seek him and explore the evidence that confirms God be crazy. So a few weeks ago, we celebrated St. Patrick's Day, and I came back from being at my daughter's school, and they were all green, and we sat down and we were talking, and you were like, hey, do you know the real story of St. Patrick's Day? Like, why we even celebrate it, how it came to be? And I was like, no, actually, I don't. Like, I, I know it's Irish and green, and I know we, you know, traditionally our culture, you dye beer green, and you hang out with your friends, and that's kind of what I know. And um, our kids come home with green icing all over them, and that's kind of what I know about St. Patrick's Day, and you were like, well, actually, there's a whole different story. Yeah. And you had been wearing a green... Yeah, so um, I got up for St. Patrick's Day that day, and I thought, I got after I got dressed, I realized I didn't have anything green on, so I dug around and found a little bracelet that was actually one of your kids, mm-hmm. a little green bracelet, and so I put this green bracelet on, and we went about our day, and... Every time I look down at this green bracelet, I just got more, um, just, if I just was getting, I could just, this feeling inside of me, something was welling up inside me, and I was like, what is this about, you know, and so you were gone to mm-hmm. your daughter's school for their, for whatever you were doing there, and um, I was thinking about how all day long I had just gotten more and more worked up every time mm-hmm. I looked at this green bracelet. And I was like, what is this about? Mm-hmm. And then I realized that what we celebrate has nothing to do with who St. Patrick was or anything about that. And it just infuriated me. I have long known the story of St. Patrick's Day, and of St. Patrick, actually. And mm-hmm. so... Whenever you got home, I was just sitting here and I had that bracelet still on and I was fidgeting with it. And I was like, you know, I'm just getting really, I'm aggravated. Mm-hmm. And you're like, what? And I'm like, St. Patrick's Day. I was like, do you even know who he is or what that's about? And you were like, after you said what you said, you know, you mm-hmm. were like, what, what is it? You know, and I was like, he was 16 years old. He wasn't even Irish, for starters. Mm -hmm. He was born in Roman Britain. He was 16 years old when he was kidnapped by Irish pirates and taken back to Ireland. He was sold into slavery and was a slave for six years. And I'm like, we talk about leprechauns and green beer and the luck of the Irish and all of these things. And St. Patrick, we celebrate with green. Everybody wear green or you're going to get pinched. That wasn't even his color. His color was blue. Sky blue. And so I was just, I don't know, it just Mm -hmm. aggravated me. And the Mm -hmm. more I thought about it, the more it aggravated me that we have no idea what even what we celebrate. He... His family was a Christian family, so he had introductions to Christ, and I don't know what his beliefs were as a 16-year-old, and I don't, I didn't know the man personally, but story says that he found his own relationship with God during his time as an enslaved person, whatever that looked like. Suffering a lot, and... We can only assume. I mean, we don't we don't know what that looked like for him, but I can only imagine what mm-hmm. modern day slavery is today with sex trafficking and you know um, forced labor, labor and the different things that 
that happened around the world today. So I can only imagine what kind of things he was subjected to as he was brought to another country and mm-hmm. and forced into some type of slavery. Mm-hmm. And during this six-year stint, he found a relationship with God, and the story tells it like this, that he um, was given a dream or told by God. I can't remember the exact details. Do you it remember? just says that he was told by God. Told by God. To go down to the coast and... To catch a ship. Get in this ship. And so he went down and there was a ship and he got on it and he was able to escape to freedom. Um, And he went back to his country. And while he was there, he became a priest. And then the Lord laid it on his heart to go back to Ireland Mm -hmm. and, and minister to those who had held him in captivity. And so that's exactly what he did. He went back to Ireland and he became... Um, he changed, well, first, before he did that, he changed his name. Mm-hmm. He changed it to some form of Patrick. Mm-hmm. And so when he came there and he was a missionary and he ministered to the people of Ireland, eventually he became known as St. Patrick. Right. And that's where we get that. The shamrock does come into play because he actually did use a three-leaf clover to, to talk about the Trinity Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, part of his... The way he ministered the, to the yes, Irish. that was part of the way he ministered. And so, mm-hmm. um, those things were true, but he his colors were blue, not green. Yeah. And just as time went forward and as it became an American tradition in 17th, 18th century, somewhere along the line, we now have the color green representing... We also now have, it's the Irish people, and we have leprechauns and green beer, and... It has, I've never heard anything about, really, it's a missionary's or a priest's um, call to go minister to this country. That is a beautiful story of forgiveness that completely is not retold at all anymore. And I've lived a lot of years on the earth and never heard it passed down to me. I mean, you'd have to search it on Google, I think, to find these origins. But it's not something taught in school. It's not not a story we hear at all. But it's it's really beautiful. It's a missionary, a call to for not just forgive these people, but go and your heart is turned and 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 you go not only to forgive, but you sacrifice your comfort in your home city, state, country, whatever, and you go back to the place where you were enslaved to the scenes of the crimes, so to speak, right. and go to the people who harmed you to teach them and preach the good news of Jesus Christ and mm-hmm. what has been done for them. That is just a compelling story. It is. And as we were talking about this, I was like, I was just getting more and more frustrated Mm -hmm. because, as you just said, Mm -hmm. it is a compelling story. Why don't people know this story? Right, and I got mad with you. (laughs) Why aren't we talking about this? And in light of this story and Easter coming up this weekend, Mm -hmm. it fell on our hearts to, to talk about Easter because... Easter is also super commercialized in our country, Mm -hmm. the same way St. Patrick's Day is. And the meaning of the true story of St. Patrick's Day, most people don't know. And now Easter, a lot of people know a little bit about Mm -hmm. what Easter is and what it means. And I think it is important that we know what we're celebrating and why we are celebrating. Right, right. It is not just about um, bunnies and Easter eggs. And although it's fun to um, participate in those festivities, of course, it's fun for our kids. It's not the true meaning. And I remember growing up even and going to church on Easter. I was actually born Easter weekend. And so Easter is my favorite holiday (laughs) and, and has been for a long time, not just because of all of the other, you know, Easter eggs and bunnies, but I really, I really do love the Easter story. And, um, I remember wondering as a kid, like, I don't understand how eggs and bunnies fit in with going to church and, like, 
Christ dying and being resurrected. I was yeah. confused about how that happened and had to, I, I don't think I, I don't know if I ever asked, but I certainly explored it for myself. But it is completely dominated our culture, the bunny and the egg version of Easter right. and uh, not so much and getting an Easter dress because you're going to church and people that traditionally don't go to church do go to church on Easter. I think we talked about it was the number one day that people attended yeah. services, but only still only 22% of people, I think this was last year or something like it that. It was and that was Last year, 22% of people attended church online, online and 30, 37% of people attended in person, which if that's the most well-attended church service mm-hmm. day of the year, that's pretty poor numbers, you know? Yeah. But um, it's it's far more popular for the eggs we hide and the treats we get from the Easter bunny rather than the true meaning of the holiday, which is to celebrate Christ's death and resurrection, and all that that entails. But it did not originate there. It actually originated as a pagan holiday um, called Eostra um, to honor the goddess of fertility, also known as the goddess of dawn and light, but she was known as a spring goddess. And um, as we were reading that um, Pope Gregory in AD 595 actually sent 40 monks to England to Christianize pagan festivals. And this is one of the festivals that they Christianized. And they were instructed by the Pope to change the significance of these heathen festivals. And so every festival that they had, they would try to convert it into some form of Christianity. And so they chose to honor um, Christ's death and resurrection and during this time um, because it was spring, Passover. It was associated with Passover and mm-hmm. that story anyway. And so they decided to cover that particular spring festival that honored this goddess in um, with the traditions of, of um, re- honoring and remembering Christ's passion story and right. the Holy Week. And so they tried to marry the two. In fact, I was reading a little bit further into this, and it was saying he told them, he gave them specific instructions like, if you couldn't completely overhaul that day, then you were to just blend them. Yeah. And there's danger in blending a pagan festival with a a Christian festival, because it's basically like taking... Um, Christ and holiness and just mixing it a little bit with worldly ways and different cultures. And Christ actually, or God actually, told the Israelites not to do this throughout the Old Testament. He directly told them not to mix beliefs and traditions, and they were to have no other gods before me, as God said. And they were told also at times to destroy pagan idols and gods that were remaining in the towns and villages that God handed over to them. At other times, I know that he had had, they repurposed them for God's purposes. Um, But we just need to be careful with the mixing of traditions. And we need to make sure that the true meaning, in this case with Easter, the true meaning remains prominent, which is the story of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Um, because now it seems in our culture, and I don't know where it is uh, on other um, in other continents and other countries, but now the reverse in America seems to have taken place where Christians spend more time and energy focusing and honoring the original pagan traditions yeah. than the truth and the, the core message of Christ. And so um, we've gotten, our, our focus has shifted. Yeah. I know that um, for me, having kids, I mean, it very much gets absorbed in parties and candy and um, the excitement of getting gifts whenever you're a kid, seeing what the Easter Bunny brought, and to refocus the attention on the, the, the most beautiful story ever. We are saved. We have eternal life when we believe and um, come to Christ, and this is the gift that He's offered. It's the greatest gift we'll ever get yeah. And it needs to be celebrated far above Easter bunnies and eggs. Right. And how easy it is for all of us to forget all the things that God has done for us. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a tendency to be distracted and discouraged. And I know for me and for us as a society, it doesn't take 
much for our entire focus and attention to be taken off of Jesus and what he has done. Mm -hmm. And God knows that. And Mm -hmm. I think that's why he instructed us over and over and over in scripture to remember who he is and what he has done. Yeah. And this was a massive, massive sacrifice. So many prophecies are fulfilled in his death and in his resurrection and in his suffering and all of these events. Um, I just cannot even imagine someone dying for me in modern day, like what that would look like, like take a bullet for your friend kind of thing. This was not just, you know, a bullet through the heart and it's over. This was, it's called the passion of the Christ, you know, because it was suffering. That's what passion means. It's the suffering of the Christ. Any of us that have suffered in his name, none of us have suffered to this point. If we're still breathing, none of us have suffered like he suffered for us. He was completely blameless. All of us have some guilt to carry. Yeah, the depth of our sin and the consequences for our sin are serious. And we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the excruciating nature of the death that Jesus endured on the cross for our sins is that punishment that we all deserve. Mm -hmm. And that's indicative of how serious sin is and the suffering that he endured on our behalf in the week leading up to the crucifixion um the scripture gives in the gospels gives several different accounts of the things that jesus did and as one of the things he did six days before the passover he came to a town um called bethany where Lazarus was residing, and it's interesting that we just recently had Lazarus resurrected Mm -hmm. from the dead. Jesus just recently resurrected him, and so they're at now at Lazarus' house. House, and um, Lazarus, Mary, Martha, Judas, John—all these people were there for sure. And while they were there, Mary takes some expensive perfume Mm -hmm. and begins to anoint Jesus's feet with it. And as they did, as she did this, Judas was like, what? Are you crazy? Mm -hmm. That's expensive. That's a year's worth of salary. You could sell that and give it to the poor. Right. Like, what are you doing? And Jesus speaks up in this moment. And in the moment, what he says is it was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. This story reminds me of Luke chapter 7 and when Jesus was anointed by the sinful woman. Mm -hmm. And it's similar in that they were sitting in a Pharisee's house and um, Simon was there and Jesus and this sinful woman. So Jesus was invited to the Pharisee's house to have dinner with him and so he went and While he was in town having dinner with him, a woman who was sinful had heard that Jesus would be there, and she decided to bring an alabaster jar of perfume and went to Jesus and stood behind him at his feet crying, and as she cried, her tears washed his feet, Mm -hmm. and she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. Mm And when the man whose house it was, the Pharisee who had invited Jesus, saw that, he said to himself, he didn't say out loud, but he said to himself, if if he knew who was touching, what kind of woman was touching Mm -hmm. him, and that she was a sinner, he would know that if he was a true prophet. Mm -hmm. And Jesus answered him and said, Simon, I have something to tell you. And Simon said, well, what is it? And so he told him a little parable about two men owing money to a moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So the man canceled the debts of both debtors. And he asked Simon, now which of them will love him more? And Simon said, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. And Jesus answered, 
Mm-hmm. You've judged correctly. Mm-hmm. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Mm -hmm. And Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And when I read read this about the Sunday before Palm Sunday, or that Saturday, that day when that Mary from Bethany is doing this, to Jesus, it reminds me of this story, and I can't help but think about the cross and the great love the same way that Simon had no idea mm-hmm. what it cost Mary. I'm sorry, the sinful woman. The sinful woman. Mm-hmm. The, the same way that Simon had no idea that it cost what it cost the sinful woman to pour her tears out to Jesus right then. Mm -hmm. He had no idea what that cost her. Yeah. He didn't have an understanding of that. It's the same way to me when we go back to this story. This is Mary of Bethany now in John, who is anointing Jesus's feet with oil and doing it with her hair, similar to the sinful woman did. And, I can't help but think about what's to come in the crucifixion of Christ that's fixing to come. And the apostles that are with him at the time, Judas was with him, John was with him. They were at Lazarus' house, you know, his friends that he was around. Like those people had no idea the true cost of the crucifixion to Jesus. Mm-hmm. He was about to lay down his life and suffer agony for us Mm -hmm. so that we would have the opportunity for one so we didn't have to suffer that way he would take that for us and so that we could have eternal life Mm -hmm. and i just whenever i hear that story i can't help but go back and and think of that parallel it's so fitting to me yeah and additionally it makes me think about this woman had sinned so greatly and felt so unworthy that when that debt is paid and that, uh, like, she's washed white as snow and forgiven, it hits her in such a compelling way. She knows she's just gone from filth to cleanliness. It impacts her so deeply in such a way that God points out Simon doesn't get <laughs> the cost. Does Simon doesn't get the difference and the night and day difference from lost to found because he maybe his sin is not as great. Well, and it also goes back to the Bethany house when they're at Lazarus' house in Bethany mm-hmm. and this woman is pouring that out in Judas. And Judas scoffs, and he's like, what are you doing? That's like a year's wages. You could sell that and give it to the poor. Mm-hmm. But in truth, he didn't even care about the poor. Right. <laughs> he wasn't he was, he's a thief. Yeah, yeah, he was going to keep it for himself. Yeah, he was already pocketing some of the money. And we see later, you know, he was he had some compromises to his character. But Jesus then replied, leave her alone. As you said earlier, yeah. that money is, you know, that or that uh, perfume was used for, or should be used for the day of my burial. Um, yeah, she'd been saving that for the day of my burial. And um, you'll always, basically he's saying you'll always have poor people, but you're not always going to have me. Mm-hmm. I'm not always going to be here with you. Foreshadowing his death to come. And that would come in the next few days yeah Yeah. that week it was coming and so um right after this he it is prophesied and it comes that prophecy is fulfilled when jesus rides in on a colt or a donkey um into a borrowed one by the way it was prophesied that it would be it would not be his it's not his possession he didn't own the donkey or the colt rather but he does 
um, get on the colt and he rides into Jerusalem. And as he does that, Mm -hmm. they took palm branches and went out to meet him and shouted and praised him. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. This is John's account. And it was prophesied earlier in Zechariah 9 Mm -hmm. that it was written, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. And so he fulfills this prophecy as he's coming into into town. And then as he gets to Jerusalem, Jesus weeps. And we only have two accounts of Jesus weeping tears. And this is the second. Lazarus's death was the first. And he, as he approaches Jerusalem, Jesus speaks these words, and this is Luke's account. If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. He's speaking to the Jews. Mm -hmm. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. And he's saying, my my own people are not going to know me and recognize me for the true Messiah that I am. And he's weeping over this. This is crushing him that he that they don't get it that they don't see and it's hidden from their eyes and so as the week moves on jesus continues to teach he with his final knowing that he's dying he spends his waking hours teaching and preaching and preparing the apostles for his for his leaving he's praying over them yeah and he's spending time teaching and he's going on in the evenings he would go to the mount of olives Um, and whenever he would wake in the morning, people would meet him at the temple and to hear what he had to say. And so, um, a lot of times he was even met with, um, by the Pharisees, you know, and they were trying to trip him up and get mm -hmm. him to say things that, that would incriminate him. Mm Mm-hmm. And they kept following him around and people disguised as curious folks right. that really wanted to know more about him were actually had a hidden agenda. They were right. trying to trip him up and ask him questions that would hang him in some way, like like stifle him and catch him in some sort of um, incriminating stance that they could then arrest him. But it actually, they are not successful in their own by right. sending their own guys to go try to, you know... Um, stump Jesus. They aren't successful. They're only successful because Judas, who is a friend and an apostle of Jesus, is the one who reaches out. And he reaches out to them to say, hey, I know him. I can lead you to him. And isn't it just so, doesn't it just ring true that the people that hurt us the most and have the most potential to hurt us are the people closest to us, In like we circle. talked about before. And mm-hmm. Judas was a follower of Jesus, a friend to him even. Like, he was hand-selected by Jesus as one of the 12 apostles. For 30 pieces of silver, he betrayed Jesus. The scripture says, when Satan, Then Satan entered Judas, and he went to the chief priests and captains to talk about turning Jesus in. He agreed to the monetary amount that was set, and set out to seek the best time to betray betray Jesus. Judas had arranged a kiss to signify that betrayal. Right. So when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, Judas arrived. He went up to Jesus and he kissed him. Mm -hmm. Jesus said to him, Friend, (laughs) why have you come, knowing full well that he was already betrayed? Like he already knew. Mm -hmm. And he called him friend. Yeah, and people like to give the impression that Judas didn't even know Jesus or couldn't have had like a close relationship with Jesus because of it was him that who betrayed him. Mm-hmm. It's hard for us to rationalize how we could betray someone so close to us like that. Mm-hmm. Because of that, I believe that many people falsely assume that Judas never cared for Jesus, never loved Jesus. I've even heard preachers preach messages and seen like study Bibles allude to the fact that perhaps he didn't have much interest in Jesus or he really didn't have a heart for him. Yeah. 
Otherwise, he wouldn't be able to betray him, right? Because mm-hmm. we have to have a rationalization or a justification. As it has to, to make sense to us. As to how someone can do that. And mm-hmm. actually, I believe in your Bible, in your study Bible at the bottom, yeah. it says something to that effect. I'm going to quote it, actually. Uh, Thus, the gospel writer depicts Satan's control over Judas, who had never displayed a strong commitment to Jesus. And I just, I have to stop with that. And I have to disagree a little bit because he was hand-selected by Jesus. Mm. He was a part of his 12. He went, he was taught by Jesus. He followed Jesus everywhere Jesus went. Mm -hmm. He was the treasurer for their, for the apostles, even though he was a thief during his treasury days. But he was trusted enough to be handed that job. Like he, yeah. And he was in the inner circle of the 12. Mm-hmm. He was a friend of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And Jesus in the garden literally said to him, Friend, friend. why have you come? Mm-hmm. He knew what was happening. And he still t- called him friend. Mm-hmm. Just, he knew Jesus, Judas had betrayed him. He still allowed him to kiss him. He washed Judas's feet. At the Last Supper. To me, this is not a man that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. Do you have an idea for a podcast, but you're not sure how to turn it into reality? You need Ready, Set, Podcast. They make it super easy to create your own podcast. They can help record, edit, and publish your idea. They have prices to fit any budget and options for both hobbyists and professional podcasters. So if you have an idea, reach out to them for a free consultation on their website or social media at www.readysetpodcast.xyz. Ready, Set, Podcast, turning your brilliant idea into reality. And in fact, after the betrayal, it says... Judas was grieved by his actions so much so that he tried to return the money back and he confessed to being a sinner and shedding innocent blood, Mm -hmm. causing innocent blood to be shed. Mm -hmm. And then he hung himself. I'm sorry, but if you don't, if you're not grieved by your actions, Mm -hmm. you don't kill yourself. Right. And the KJV says he repented. Yeah. My version NIV said that he was greatly distressed or greatly grieved. Yeah, the KJV in Matthew 27, 3 through 5 actually says, Then Judas, which had betrayed him when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? See thou to that. Like, basically, we don't care what's you figure that out. And he cast down the 30 pieces of silver in the temple and departed. And mm-hmm. he went and hung himself. Yeah. He was remorseful. It, we don't know what else happened or what the condition of Jesus is or where he... We don't, we don't know. But to go as far as to say that he wasn't actually committed to Jesus at any point or to say that he mm-hmm. wasn't really all in, mm-hmm. I think that... I just don't think that we can say that. Which speaks to us today and should be a reminder to us that if someone who's following Jesus as closely as this man was can betray him, how much more are we susceptible to that same position? It literally says at at one point that Satan entered Judas. We should all take that as a warning. Mm-hmm. Right. And Peter... Peter hurt him in a different way. Um, He was told, it was foretold by Jesus at the Last Supper Mm -hmm. that one would betray him. And he he called out both Judas and Peter and told Judas that he he would do this to him. And then he called out Peter specifically and said, um, Satan has asked you, Simon, Simon, they also called him Simon. Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. And he says, you will also, you know, you're also going to fall. But when you do, strengthen yourself and, you know, pull yourself back and come back to your brothers, the, the apostles. 
And Peter was like, no, I, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. Like, I've been with you this whole time, and I'm going to stay with you, not me, God. And in fact, another account, I think it may have been Mark's, said that each and every one of them present at the supper said, no not going to be me. Not going to be Surely me. I would I. never do it. Yeah. yeah. No one thought it was going to be them. But in fact, before the supper, Judas had already betrayed him for the money. Right. That had happened prior to. But Peter did not think he was capable of that. Another point, we may not think that there is no way I would do that. Right. And anytime we utter those words, I would never do that. Ugh. You need to watch yourself. Because Peter said the same thing and he was following. He was one of his bestest friends. He was one of his closest uh-huh. Yeah. Peter, James, and John. Uh They were his inner circle. And and he had denied him. Jesus predicts that he would deny him three times before the rooster crowed. And he he did that exact thing. Um, He was, before the rooster crowed, Peter denied him to three different people. And Peter similarly was repentant. He was grieved. He was anguished, deeply anguished by the fact he wept, I believe, one account said that he was he was distressed by what he had done. Because he he also couldn't believe that he would do that. Mm-hmm. And just hours before that, Peter was with him in the Garden of Gethsemane while Jesus was praying. He and um, the other apostles that were with him. James and John. James and John had fallen asleep, but God had asked them, or Jesus had asked them, pray so that you will not fall into temptation. So they fall asleep. It says in their sorrow, they had in their exhaustion due to their sorrow, they had fallen asleep. And so Jesus is praying alone and an angel comes to comfort him and to strengthen him. And the Jesus asked God in this moment, like, please, if there is any other way, let this cup pass from me. Can we do this another way? <laughs> you know, but he knew that this was going to be God's will. And he said, yet not my will, but yours be done to God. And so he was in great anguish and the apostles fall asleep and he wakes them up to pray again. And then shortly thereafter, Jesus is arrested moments after Um, Judas comes up to him and he gives the signal. He kisses him and says, and calls him rabbi. And, um, and then he is arrested in that, in that moment. And the disciples with him attempt to fight against him with their swords. Um, I believe one of them, Peter, Peter tries to swing and he chops. Well, he He does swing. Yeah. He cut his ear off. He perhaps was going for the whole head, but he got the ear and, um, Jesus picks up the ear or he touched the man's ear and healed him. And so can you imagine you're coming, someone's coming for you to, to arrest you and you heal them in the process. <laughs> like there will be no bloodshed here, you know? And so he does not allow, um, he does not allow the apostles to fight against, but he goes with the, um, the men arresting him and they take him and he, comes before the Sanhedrin, the high priest, and they ask him a bunch of questions, and Jesus remains silent. And they're like, are you even going to reply to anything? Are you going to, basically, are you going to give us an answer? And he, the only answer he gives is they ask him, are you the Christ, the Son of God? And he says, yes, it is as you say. This is Matthew's account. But I say to all of you, in the future, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. And he, again, then after that, he goes before Pilate and the same thing. The only words he speaks out of Matthew, it says, is yes, it is as you say. He says that he is the king of the Jews, but he made no reply, not even to a single charge, which is prophecy fulfilled from Isaiah 53. Verse 7 of that chapter says that he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Yeah, I I just want to jump in real quick because when you said, so he was led as a lamb to the slaughter, that fulfills prophecy in Exodus 12 where God instructs the Israelites to kill a lamb with no blemishes, and put its blood on their doorpost. When the angel of death passed through Egypt, it would pass by any house that had the blood of the Passover lamb on the doorpost. So Jesus fulfilled Moses' prophecy of the Passover lamb because it's through his blood in the on the cross when he dies mm-hmm. that we can be saved 
from or passed over mm-hmm. by death. Yeah, yeah. And so he's he's before Pilate right now, and Pilate gives the option to the crowd because Pilate recognizes um, there is no in it. There's no guilt. Yeah, you know, his he's, innocence. Right. He says, you know, he remembers don't have anything to do with an innocent man. You know, and so he offers to the people, hey, I'll either release this man Jesus or another prisoner. Who do y'all want? And they all shout Barabbas. You know. So they want to crucify Christ, and they they yell, you know, the, the mm-hmm. infamous phrases, crucify him, crucify him. So he's like, okay. And so Pilate just lets the people rule. And um, and so... But he, he washes his hands of that. Like, he, he says, I'm not having this blood on my hands. Yeah, yeah. And so it said, all the people answered, let his blood be on us and our children. Yikes. So now he's being found guilty in Roman court before Pilate. He's already been found guilty in religious court before the Sanhedrin. Right. And Pilate asked him similar questions. Are you the king of the Jews? And he says, it is as you say. And right. so uh, essentially these people rule. He lets the people rule. Yeah, and, and to appease them, he gave permission for Jesus to be beaten. And the Roman soldiers, that's when they come in. Yes, and they strip him, they mock him by putting a scarlet robe on him, and then they twisted together, Matthew's account says, they twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head, and they put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him, they took the staff and struck him on the head again and again, and after they mocked him, they took off the robe and put on his clothes And then they led him away to crucify him. I just want to go back to the crown of thorns for just a second. You know, when I think about that, I can't help but think about how Christ, the king, is trading in his heavenly crown Mm -hmm. for the crown of thorns. A crown that symbolizes suffering and shame Mm -hmm. and the weight of the sin and death and the paying that penalty for our sin. So that we could be forgiven. We can be reconciled for him. Mm-hmm. And you know, the prophet Isaiah talks about in Isaiah 53, he was pierced for our offenses. He was crushed for our wrongs, wrongdoings. The punishment for our well-being was laid upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Mm-hmm. And so after that beating, he is carrying his own cross. And at some point, he gets help from a man named Simon from Serene. Because um, he's probably so weak at this point. But they bring him to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And then they offer him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. They divide up his clothes and cast lots to see who would get what. And this also fulfills prophecy. So then um, Pilate makes a sign. And he had the notice prepared and fastened to the cross prior to him carrying it. I guess I should have said that. Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And many people were reading this sign. The sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. So they get to the top of the hill with the cross, and he's nailed to it. And there are two um, criminals also with him, one on his right and one on his left. And... People are, at the same time, people are just continuing to hurl insults and mock him and say horrible things to him in the same way that the chief priests and teachers of the law were also mocking him. They were mocking him saying things like, oh, he saved others, but he can't even save himself. If he's really, truly the Christ, why can't he just come down from the cross and that we may, we may see him and believe? Oh, that would have been really hard to hear. It would have been very hard. And... I'm sure for Jesus, you know, he he knew his role and what he was doing, and he he willingly did it, although he prayed for it to pass from him. Mm -hmm. But I'm sure even for him, you know, that that had to be, he was, he felt, he was a man, like we are men, and Mm -hmm. he, he felt the hurts and the shame and the sadness and the sorrow and what it felt like to have everyone turn against you. Mm Mm-hmm. Even one of the criminals on the cro- on the other cross was saying, hurling insults at him and being cruel with him. But the other criminal 
rebuked him and said, Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. So even there, there is another example of someone who did not live a life for, did not know Jesus at all, did not know God, but his eyes were opened and he saw him for who he really was and yeah. asked that he would um, be remember with him. him. Yeah, remember him. Yeah. And he honored that. And then Jesus says, um, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he feels the the depth of human suffering in that moment that God is not present. We have this amazing gift that God is now present with us, which we're about to talk about. But but he felt in the moment all the pain and all the suffering and then the absence of God. Mm-hmm. And then at that moment, he cries out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he gives up his life. And at that moment, several things happen. The veil of the temple is torn in two. There are the sun is going dark and there's earthquakes. Also, there's bodies, tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs. What a sight. Can you you, you imagine? Well, I didn't mean to say it sounds to sound like it didn't matter, but seriously, like, can you imagine you're standing there and you've watched crucifixions before because it was commonplace in their society, and now this day happens, the sun goes away and it becomes dark as Mm -hmm. night, the earth trembles and shakes and there's earthquakes, Mm. the veil at the temple was torn, which, by the way, I want to say a little thing about that, like... The only people, I just want to point out, the only people that probably would have witnessed that would be the priests that were in Mm -hmm. those places. And the funniest part about that is they didn't even recognize Jesus as king. And literally in this death, that moment, he is making their job as mediator for him Mm -hmm. no longer necessary. Right. Between him and God. Because when the veil is torn... He separates. The thing that is separating us from God is now replaced with Jesus. He takes the place of that. So now through Christ, we have a direct line of communication with God. Mm-hmm. So Jesus' last words, he says, it is finished. And after that occurs, the centurion or the Roman, um, I guess, official in charge of the crucifixion yeah. declares Surely, this is the Son of God, which was huge in that time. It's another non-believer, so to speak, who who looks at these events and says, "Okay, this is not another crucifixion yeah, like I've seen before." Normal. And he declares that surely he was who he says he was. Then, after the death, it was customary in crucifixion to break the legs of those that had been crucified, and so the soldiers come to take the bodies down, and they break the legs of the first. And then they break the legs of the other guy. They break the legs of both of the other criminals. But whenever they came to Jesus, they found that he was already dead and they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing this flow of blood and water out. And the man who saw it was given this testimony. And he was like, okay, this is a true testimony. It tells the truth. This is prophecy being fulfilled. It says in Scripture in several places in the Old Testament, Exodus 12, 46, Numbers 9, 12, and, um, and here now in John, it's saying that not one of these bones will be broken, not one of his bones will be broken. Originally, God tells Moses in the Old Testament, Moses and Aaron, he gave them specific rules for the Passover lamb that you should not break the bones of the lamb and Jesus's legs, it should be from a lamb that is unblemished. And so Jesus's legs were not broken, but would have traditionally been so in that, in the customary time and how they actually did crucifixions. Mm -hmm. So after Jesus died, a man named Joseph from Arimathea came to approach Pilate and asked for the body of, of Jesus, and Pilate ordered that it would be given to him. So Joseph, along with Nicodemus, took the body and prepared it for burial. They wrapped it in a linen cloth. They placed it in Joseph's tomb that he had cut out, 
cut out of the rock, and he rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and then went away. And then the very next day, the chief priests and the Pharisees approach Pilate, and they approach him, and they say this, Sir, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver called Jesus a deceiver, and after three, we remember that he said, after three days, I will rise again. So please give the order to the tomb for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This, this last deception will be worse than the first. So Pilate said, okay, take a guard, go make the tomb as secure as you know how. And then they went and made the tomb as secure as they could by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. And so then after the Sabbath at dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb. And suddenly, yet again, there's another violent earthquake. And then an angel of the Lord came down. God be crazy. This is insane. An angel of the Lord came down from heaven, goes to the tomb, rolls it back, rolls the rolls stone back, and sits on it. And his appearance was described like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. They were like paralyzed with fear. Fear. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid. Oh, okay. We're not... <laughs> They always seem to say that. Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who is crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Go, then go quickly and tell the disciples, he has risen from the dead and he's going ahead of you into Galilee and there you'll see him. So they do as they are told and on the way they run into Jesus and they, they, meet him along the path, and they just fall at his feet and begin to worship him. And uh, meanwhile, the guards witness all of this, and they go back to the chief priest and report everything that's happened. And wouldn't you know it, the chief priests decide, Mm -hmm. okay, here's the plan. You're going to tell everybody that the disciples came during the night, stole him away while you were asleep. And that's going to be the story we tell. Right. Here's some money to shut you up and get, or to, to make yeah. you tell the, the story we want you to tell. And that's the story that gets widely circulated among the Jews. And that's the belief they hold even to today. Jews do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And, you know, if they would read in Acts chapter 2, verse 36, it clearly states, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you've crucified. Basically, they were guilty of rejecting and crucifying Christ, but by the resurrection of God, he overruled those actions. He proved to be both the, he proved to be the son and Messiah, the sin bearer that was promised in the Old Testament, Mm -hmm. the Lord who would come in judgment as Joel prophesied, We have got to take this personally. We have got to recognize that our only chance Mm -hmm. is through Jesus Christ. We have no other way that we can live eternally with him and be forever connected to the Lord. We get to see him face to face for all eternity should we choose to give up our life to find it. He says, I believe it's Luke 9:23 and then some verses after that. He says, "What does it profit a man yeah. that you gain the entire world that you do everything you want to do essentially is what that's saying like that you become what you want to become. What does it profit a man that he gain the entire world and lose his soul?" And then he goes on to say, whomever wants to find their life will lose it. And whoever wants to lose their life will save it for my sake. So as far as the resurrection's concerned, first we have got to grasp, truly grasp our own true sin condition as it relates to the death and the resurrection. Mm -hmm. The Lord was innocent, sinless, blameless, and his death was on our behalf Mm -hmm. for our sins. Mm -hmm. 
The greatest problem we're going to face isn't accepting that the resurrection of Christ happened because most people believe that he does live. Mm -hmm. But what we have to really get a hold of is that we are sinners. We are dead in our transgressions and sins and are eternally lost apart from that death, burial, and resurrection. It is our condition of being hopelessly dead in our sin that makes the resurrection of Christ such a vitally needed truth. Jesus came when he came in the flesh to bear the condemnation of the law himself. He did that so that we didn't have to. He acted as the sacrificial lamb for us. He took Mm -hmm. on that condemnation. Mm -hmm. Once he died and was buried and resurrected, Mm -hmm. once that happened, when he comes back next time, it will be as judge. He is Mm -hmm. no longer coming to bear the condemnation, but he is coming to judge. And y'all, please, I implore you, Mm -hmm. if that doesn't mean anything to you, dig in this word. Mm -hmm. The only way that we can make it is to have a personal relationship with God. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ his death, or his life, death, and resurrection are the only ways that we make it to heaven. We are all going to answer and be judged by him. And there, he said there will be people that he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. Mm-hmm. They're going to say, Lord, Lord, if you are not living a life that is completely dead to self, If you've not laid down your life Mm -hmm. for Christ's sake and Mm -hmm. his will in your life, if you're not striving for that every day, you may find yourself falling short. Right. Because he said that to people who were doing godly things. He said, didn't we we, um, preach and teach in your name? Mm -hmm. And didn't we cast out demons? demons? And didn't we do do all of these good deeds? And he says many times, it is not the good deeds that save you. No man can boast. So that no man can boast. It is only by Jesus' blood that we get salvation. Those deeds come from a place that a heart that loves Jesus and is compelled to do those things. Right. It's not deeds first and heart later. It's heart first. You give your heart to to Christ and your heart to God, and those deeds flow out of that heart. And we have to recognize that we are dead in our transgressions and sins and eternally lost apart from his death, burial, and resurrection. Mm-hmm. So this story is not just a story that goes in the ear yes. and moves out the ear. If if it's we It's not just a knowledge. Right. It's not just a knowledge, an academic knowledge or a head knowledge. Theological knowledge of of the story. But it's a heart Mm -hmm. knowledge. It's a relationship. It has to move into your bones. And if it doesn't, pray that prayer. Lord, if you don't feel the magnitude of this story, the most, like, God be crazy of all God be crazy Mm -hmm. stories. If you do not feel this, Ask him to change that because ask the Holy Spirit to wake you up because we can, it is, it is God who wakes us up. We are dead in our transgressions. It is God who raises us up just as he raised his son up. And he wants more than anything for us to ask him to do just that. Mm -hmm. Because he will. He is the promise fulfiller. As we see all of these promises and all of these prophecies fulfilled, he will also fulfill that. So as you get together with your family and you have Easter dinner and you go to church and you do the egg hunts with the kids, make sure that you know and your family knows the true meaning of Easter, the true meaning of Christ's life and his death and his resurrection. 
Thanks for listening to the God Be Crazy podcast. If the message of the podcast resonates with you, please make sure to subscribe or follow so that you never miss an episode. We also encourage you to rate and review it on your favorite podcast platform. By doing this, you may help others hear the podcast as well. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or just share it the good old-fashioned way. Talk about it with the people in your life. It is our hope that you will be blessed and strengthened by the truth and crazy love of God. 